0: Hello and welcome to the Non-Tech Founders Podcast, fortnightly conversations about running a business as a non-technical founder. I'm Laura.
1: And I'm Nathan.
0: Join us as we navigate the developer dominated world of entrepreneurship, bootstrapping and beyond. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to build an audience from scratch. And this actually came from a tweet that we sent, Like, well... Right now it'll be a couple of weeks ago and we got a reply from someone called Zach who I actually know personally is currently in the process of building an audience for himself and he made the connection that both myself and Nathan had that's basically how we built an audience Uh, that's how we launched our product so we did audience first and then product and I think we thought well why don't we dive deeper into that especially about you Nathan, because you've had the whole build an audience, launch a product, and then even sell it.
1: Yeah, and then and then just kill it all, and now I'm back to zero again. So I can totally relate to uh, to Zach's comment. He was like, you know, let's let's hear more about that. You know, this is where I am. How do we build an audience or a following, or however you prefer to call it, from scratch? When you, obviously to build or to launch or to uh, grow any kind of product, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Um, Nowadays, you just have to have an audience, unless you have that money behind you, unless you have that uh, sort of initial investment for ads and stuff. You need that audience. You're in the awesome position that you've you've been there long enough, and you've been really steady from the beginning. You know, you've been you've been constant. Maybe it's been more or less at different times, but you've been constant. And you've been able to build up that audience and your subscribers, your newsletters, sorry, on your what's it called email list, and also Twitter and, and, and etc. So you're in a completely different place up here and and, and down there as I got my hands on the video which you can't see but um I mean can you even remember to when you started what it was like to going from zero can you remember like what were those first actions or first thoughts about being at zero
0: um (laughs) Uh, yes and no yeah it's difficult because it's it was such it's such a long time ago now which is why it's so interesting the position that you're in because you there's Going to be things that you remember from back when you were doing newsy, and remember correctly and possibly remember incorrectly as well, because yeah, we all completely. do it. And then your experience now. So I don't know. I vaguely remember I did. I think the thing that got me an audience is doing guest posts, and I did a guest post for a blog called Sight point I don't know if it's still around actually, and then. That's an old
1: site,
0: yeah. yeah. And then I got picked up to speak at a conference from there because they really liked the guest post. I did. I put loads of effort into it. I did another one for a few smaller blogs that I don't remember the names of. And then another big one for Smashing Magazine. So that's really how I started building my audience. It was just reaching out to guest posts. But like I said, it was such a long time ago that I don't remember how long it took. I don't remember how many subscribers I'd got from those things and how long it took to get any traction or anything.
1: Did you feel like you were reaching up or were you contacted or how did that come about?
0: So the smashing magazine one, I I wrote a blog post that I thought was really good just to be nice and humble. Just thought this is like, (laughs) I'm actually really proud of this. This can't go on my blog because I have no one following me. That's just, it's just silly. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to send it to the biggest blog that I know that I really want to be featured in and see what they say and if they say yes amazing and if they say no okay fine I'll post it on my own blog no worries and so I sent it to them they loved it and they posted it and it ended up being their like number one article for like I want to say close six months to a year like a really long time yeah it was crazy and then I got invited to speak at a couple of their conferences and it that's sort of the moment really when it it sort of blew up was from that article so I'd written a really good article thought I'd take a chance I really honestly when I submitted the article I forgot about it I just thought they're never going to reply like but at least I've tried and I didn't think they would ever come back to me but they did
1: Obviously, Smashing Magazine is design and development, probably I'd say, or at least it used to be, I'd say more so leaning towards the designer. Was that who you were writing for? Was there like an intention behind that or was it just, this is what I know?
0: It was, I was writing for developers, so I was trying to reach the developer audience and I felt like Smashing Magazine at the time had more of a developer audience than a designer one, so it made sense to go for to go for that one specifically and the article was on a guide to color for developers so yeah okay yeah but I'm really curious another comment that we got is that people were really interested to learn more about your background Nathan because we did the intro episode and I talked quite a lot about me I guess I'm quite good at that and we didn't (laughs) we all like
1: talking about ourselves
0: (laughs) yeah let's face it with people who were really interested to learn about Newsy what is the story there like how did you start what even happened throughout that whole thing so yeah. yeah do you want to go a little bit into that
1: yeah sure so I like yourself so I was I started freelance design really early on in my career because I was a late bloomer so I came to design in 2005 and two years after starting <laughs> a design education and starting as a can't think of the word in English now. When you go and work for a company for free, basically, oh, like, <laughs> like an internship, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. yes. Even my um, mind's gone blank now. Yeah, yeah. So I was doing that for a while, and it was literally just before the the big huge crash in the 2007. I think it was. Was that when it was? I think it was uh, yeah 2008. 2007 2008. Yeah. And so of course everything just went to crap. And I was actually by that time I was actually working for a magazine, and when the contract came up to to be reviewed to be renewed rather they said sorry that's it so I was kind of like I have to go freelance you know whether I want to or not so it was it was kind of um yeah I was forced into the freelance thing but I was never I was never awesome at it and I knew from what was going on that sort of I'd at the same time I'd actually picked up as well and what's his name's book the four-hour work week which I loved. So we're talking a long time ago now, which I loved. and It wasn't as outdated as it is now. It's still a great read, but it's very, the principles are still fantastic, but it's a very outdated read if you if you do go into it. But yeah, I kind of was thinking along the lines of I would really love to get something going. I was writing at the time on my freelance blog. I used to write quite regularly on there, actually. And I used to, as like yourself, I would guest post for publications and I can't remember the names of them now. Like one of them was Specky boy, which was a big design blog. And I, remember that. Uh, I can't even think of them, but just other design blogs. And I used to regularly post on there. And it was actually a really good thing to do same as for you, because you would start to generate a small audience, whether you wanted to or not. Just, it was just the natural flow of things. People would find you and end up coming over to my list. So when I decided that I wanted to build a product I knew it was more just I want to have a product than anything else. it wasn't that I saw a gap in the market for proposal software. Believe it or not, it was actually a very small market back then in two thousand and thirteen. It was basically bid sketch and that was it. Everything like Proposify and all those other ones came around I think the Proposify was like the same year and then the, some of the other players were a few years later. But uh, yeah, so it was, I had a very small audience, but it was very niche and it was very all about design. So it was great because it was very personal. You know, I had direct contact with a lot of them kind of, as your audience grows, you know, you, you obviously lose that, close rates goes down and that that kind of thing. So it was always very personal. I always wrote from a personal point of view as well. I've never written a technical blog post in my life about design. It's always about me you know it's all about me and, and what I've done and, and how I feel and how I think about these things so uh, when it came time to just move forward with the product because it was just me and like yourself it wasn't accidental I was looking I was looking for a product and I was just scouring all the issues that I had you know where was I where was I struggling with software that either existed or didn't exist and back in the day I used to do all my proposals in in design you know, and then go to PDF and then email the PDF, get them to either upload it somewhere and sign it or to scan it and sign it and send it, you know, just the complete shambles. So I thought, right enough of this, I'll just do a little MVP. So I I basically, I allotted, I think it was $3,000 to get an MVP done. I think that's what it cost me. Man, I wish it would cost me that now to get Feature (laughs) Flux done. Yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I said, right, that's it. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna just, 3,000 is almost as if I'm prepared to lose it. I'll just, that's it. If something comes of the MB, MVP, then great. And if not, then, you know, I'm prepared to lose that. Um, and it just so happens that even though the MVP was terrible, I was able to reach out to enough people prior to building it and then afterwards as well via content. Because I did, one thing I did well was that I didn't, I never stopped writing. I was always publishing content about Noosey. And I remember as well, a lot of it went up on dribble. In fact, the early works of nusi are still up on dribble from 2013. It is appalling. It's really really nasty stuff. I'll leave no. a link in, in the show notes so you can go and have a laugh. But uh, I so that was always
0: dribble and I I always loved Newsy's design. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. It'd be interesting to see it now to be fair, but I well, remember I think, thinking that is lovely design. I
1: think at the time it was actually a little bit different, but of course, as everything in the world, you know, everything ended up Looking the same as pretty much everything does now, I think we could have an episode, a conversation about that as well, because this was all on the on the tail end of the flip from Apple's skeuomorphic look to the whole flat thing. You know, we're talking is the world flat or not kind of thing, and it was just on the tail end of that. Yeah, so it was it was weird because I literally built Noosey Kind of, I I did have a small list, I did have a small following, but it was very small. I I don't think it was anything that would particularly give me a competitive advantage other than the fact that I was, I was marketing to myself. I was part of my audience. So I knew where everyone hung out. I knew the things that designers and agencies were into and that they liked and that they disliked and what bothered them. So that was a big thing because so, there are the, sorry.
0: Oh, on. sorry, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say, because there are the two schools of thought on there when you're trying to build a product or create a product that's either you scratch your own itch or you look for the problem or a problem and then try and find maybe a solution to that problem. But I really did scratch my own itch and at the same time tried to find people that maybe have the same problem.
0: Yeah, It was so, just so
1: much easier because they were my people.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have like a million questions. So when you did your MVP, did you ask your audience before whether this is something that they would, put, would pay money for <laughs> or did you just do it and you were like, I'm going to build I, it and then ask them?
1: Yeah, I am... Um being far more meticulous, or I have been far more meticulous with Feature Flux than I ever was with NUSI. I did a series of customer development interviews, which I'm even amazed about now that I did them back in 2013. I did a handful. I don't think I did particularly many. I did them all in Spanish because I was actually going to launch, in fact, I actually did launch NUSI in Spanish. All my Spanish designer friends told me I was crazy. They are like, no, 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 do it in English. Nobody in Spain will pay for this. Notorious for not wanting to pay for things. (laughs) Sorry, Tony Spine, you know, on this thing, but yeah. So after three weeks, I actually translated the whole thing into English. It was a complete disaster. But anyway, yeah. So I did contact, I did reach, talk out to people who were running small agencies, freelancers, and every single one of them told me they wouldn't switch from the vert, from the current system they were using to Newsy or to wow. a different system even. But I said, I don't care. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, okay. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it anyway. And I did. Yeah. Well, it obviously so worked I didn't out. Listen. I didn't listen. Yeah,
0: that's good that you didn't listen though because we're always told to do customer interviews and to be less risky, I suppose, with what, what we do. But clearly in the same way as there's a lot of times when you ask people, would you buy this? They say, yeah, definitely. And then when it comes to launching it, they don't. but that's like the other way around they were like no I won't but they did yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's like I I flipped it you said
1: you don't want it I'm going to build it anyway
0: (laughs) gosh I wonder how many products that could have been really successful that weren't built because of that
1: yeah because they were not stupid enough to do it anyway um well, clearly you could, have could, a good, good a
0: <laughs> reaction. Or Well, I
1: think part, think part of it was just that willingness to potentially throw away that 3,000. And it was actually a bonus that had come through from a client I was working for. So I kind of had it there and just said, well, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, well, then on to the next thing kind of thing. Okay. And I think that was partly the reason I could be so sort of blasé about the fact that nobody wanted it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So going back to like the community then mm-hmm. do you remember back in 2008 where did you said where pe- you were where people hang out where did they hang out in 2008 versus today because oh. i know it's so different
1: do, do you know what there were because we mentioned actually i think in the other podcast that we'd originally met via Nusi, and i interviewed you on your first podcast etc but i there's there's something in the back of my head that maybe we met before on a design feedback website that maybe had existed like back in the day and I,
0: was it honey I'm,
1: yeah that it rings a bell because I remember looking for places back in the day to get feedback because these kind of platforms and systems didn't really exist then, and it was tricky invision wasn't even around then, so you know. But finding a a community where you could actually physically get feedback from other designers was there were a few places around back then. And I think that may be how we met. And I think Honey was one of them and there were a few others, but they all ended up dying off for whatever reason because they couldn't monetize it or because people didn't want to give feedback because Dribble came out and...
0: Well, people wanted to get feedback, but they weren't but they as keen on giving it. Yeah. yeah or giving yeah. good feedback, you know, other than I like it or, you know, something a little bit generic. Yeah. So.
1: There were always the people you could rely on and then the rest was just a waste of time. But I think those were the early places that I kind of started hanging out in. And then Twitter came pretty early as well. I'm hazy on all the years, so I don't know where everything crosses over and mashes up. But, um, and then the other places, of course, were just... The blogs where you were guest posting or where I was guest posting, they were generally people used to comment on on on, on yeah. blog posts back then as well. You know, they used comment to be conversations
0: were a thing. Yeah, like, yeah, not yeah. so much anymore. It's all spam.
1: Uh, completely, it was different back then in that sense. But with regards to the design communities, like per se, I wasn't. There may have been a couple. I, in fact, another thing I remember as well is. When these design feedback communities were dying down, I reached out to Brennan actually. So this must've been very early days, maybe 2012, 2013. I reached out to Paul Jarvis and and a few others and just said, look, trying to get feedback on designs now is a real pain. How about we just set up a small group of people? I think there was about five or 10 of us and and I think Jared was in there as well. And I think everyone was just like, yes, let's do this. Nothing ever happened, with that. <laughs> but everyone said, yes, let's do it. We all need proper feedback and nothing was ever done. So maybe there's still a space for that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that was where it all kicked around. But I think it was a smaller, it was a small. it was a tighter knit community back then, I think. Yeah. Uh, so it was easier in that sense because people yeah. gave a bit more of a shit maybe about the feedback they gave and the help and the, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I definitely had the same experience. There, things like forums were a thing when I was first starting out. I don't think yeah. forums are a thing anymore. And it's <laughs> it's just a lot of, there's just, there's just a lot more people, I guess, out there doing it. So it's harder to get your voice heard. Well,
1: everybody's on the take now, aren't they? It's like you said, even with those feedbacks, it's like everybody just wants help, but nobody really wants to give it. And you can see this now on Twitter, like my sort of, somebody who I'm always super appreciative of help from on Twitter is Ruben from BidSketch, my, my competitor <laughs> all those You're years ago. Yeah, so it's, Yeah. And, and Ruben, you can tell him and Brian Castle as well, any feedback or any comments they give on Twitter feeds, they're always super thoughtful. And you can tell they've actually thought about it instead of just saying, nah, I wouldn't bother. Or nah, I don't like this. Or just give it a like, you know? And it really takes, you have to want to help that person, you know, to give that. And that's something that's missing now but yeah, we've gone off on another tangent here again, haven't we? But it's definitely, it's definitely missing from now. And I think you really have to be conscious of the fact that you want to help people to get that again.
0: Yeah. It's a good point because I, I mean, I'd love to speak to these people who are just so genuinely helpful and ask them how they, how they have the time to think about these answers because you know, they properly think about them. Oh yeah, totally. Or they're just, you know, super smart and they just know off the top of their heads. Maybe that's the case, but because I get a lot asked a lot for help, and I struggle to be as helpful as I know I could be, just because it can take the whole day, really, to just be give like thoughtful answers and that kind of thing. So it's difficult, but everybody needs it, and that's what I always think to myself: is that I got to I got my start because someone helped me and someone gave me a chance various different people took a bit of a chance on me or or something so it sort of feels like it's my turn to do the same for other people and I'm trying to do that it's a little bit difficult to like weed out the ones who you think you know really I don't know maybe deserve it or are really good enough because
1: yeah I know what you mean because there's the quick oh can you help me with this from somebody you have no connection to whatsoever and then there's the thoughtful kind of you know, I'm struggling with this, I know you've spoken about this or whatever, or maybe even tried to build up some kind of relationship beforehand rather than just throwing out the, the help lines. And I get it as well. I mean, I get it when people are struggling and they are genuinely desperate. You will throw out as many lines as you can, but sometimes it's just not all that, all that thoughtful, I guess. And it can come off as, I don't yeah. know, a bit of a pain.
0: Yeah, but I've noticed Brian Castle as well. Another one, Jay Klaus, he is super helpful and does like full-on videos for people just, just because they've asked just f- for his help. And they're really thorough and thoughtful. Um, do, you think
1: they all, do you think they all have ghostwriters and it's not them at I all?
0: I don't know. If they do, I would like the name of that ghostwriter. <laughs> I,
1: I saw someone offering their ghostwriting services on Twitter yesterday. It's the first time I've ever seen it. And I was like, what? This, this is, this is a, a, actually a thing? I oh, mean, wow. I knew I've heard about it in the background, but like I didn't know if it was actually something, a service that people were offering. And but I was like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, I'll bear that in mind.
0: Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if that's better or worse than AI.
1: I don't know, I don't know, or the same. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not much luck with that. I don't know,
0: on the no, fence. I haven't tried. Okay, so back then, obviously, things were really different, but now you are starting again. So have you? Are you doing the same thing as before with Feature Flux? Are you building an audience or have you been building an audience first and then doing the product? Are you going in the same route as Newsy or are you just doing the product?
1: No, I think I'm doing it parallel because I came back to social media at the same time as having this idea, I guess. In fact, I'm not even sure how old my Twitter account is, but it's only a few months old. And I started looking into Feature Flux as a product idea, maybe five months ago or something like that. So it's running in parallel. And this time, I, I think there's always an element of, of luck in these things. Like with Nusi, I think, again, I got lucky. But at the same time, and I think you alluded in one of the previous episodes too, is that the, the more you work, the more you do it, the luckier you get, you know. So I think that was very true for Nusi because I was writing a lot and I was sort of trying to get around and I think it's. I think I'm actually finding it a bit harder this time because everything is a little bit different. Everything, everyone has their shields up now. The majority of people have their shields up now. Not everyone, and there are just so many more players out there now trying to do the same thing. There are so many more people shouting for attention. So I think it is a bit different now. And also, the written content. I don't think, or I don't feel, is consumed in the same way that it was eight, nine years ago. Either. I mean, back back then the blog was king right that was where it was at you got all your subscribers you got your comments you got your but the funny thing is i've been i've been interviewing another amazing idea from ruben thank you so much ruben was to interview reach out to ex employees in the marketing team at competitors and ask what worked for them when they were marketing their products so in the case of feature flux is for product managers so i reached out to several of the big players and saw who was no longer working there and was working someone else and reached out and asked them what worked for them. And the overwhelming response was content. Content is still king. So even though we're still mixing it up and we're doing the podcast and putting everything out in videos and publishing on TikTok and Instagram and just ah, a thousand things, the written word in content is still the biggest draw for them for all of these big multi-million dollar SaaS, which I thought was really interesting because I didn't imagine that to be the case
0: yeah i think you're right i i was talking to well zach again who's the person who got us onto this topic in the start Mm -hmm. uh, and he was telling me that he was speaking to i can't remember who some seo expert or something and apparently super short digestible content is back now the last i heard it was long form giant ultimate guides to everything yeah that was where
1: I was as well that was the last thing I heard
0: <laughs> yeah so apparently now it's not anymore it's the shorter which I think actually makes a lot of sense because if we think about like TikTok and tweets and yeah attention spans are just not there like it needs to be really snappy and to the point so it's makes lots sense. of little articles with just one point in yeah I, I was sort of but thinking knowing, about
1: knowing, it okay so knowing what I know about you then and your background how do you feel about writing short content though
0: I find it really hard. So what I tend to do is I write a big article, but then split it into lots of mini articles. Um, And that's easier for me because I just, I really struggle to just do a short article. Um, That's one thing Brennan's actually really good at is just doing a shorter, but super punchy article that has one lesson in it. That's really clear. But yeah, it's difficult.
1: Brennan was really big into his sales letters, wasn't he? So that's a huge sort of change in mentality, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things. It's, it feels like it shouldn't work, but it does. Like people really resonate with it. Just being able to, and I know I'm the same in a way because I have so little time to read things. If someone posts like an ultimate guide to something or a giant ebook, I'm like cool I'll read that when I get time (laughs) I never read it so there's like yeah yeah, ever because I never have the time and even if I do have the time to read it I do not have the time to action it so you need these like tiny little chunks that you can digest slowly so what
1: about because obviously Google is a world unto itself and so fickle what might Google be looking at though, because I, I will never pretend to understand what works for Google and what doesn't, but with sort of search intent and readers and genuinely helpful content, like, because if you think about, although the classic SEO wisdom is that those long articles, as we said just now were the way to go because you could just get so much content in there and it was going to keep readers on there and blah, blah, blah. Like, for me, it actually feels wrong. I feel like I'm cheating people if I write less than, say, if it was going to be a decent blog post, like, less than 1,500 words to me would be like a cop-out. So I would feel wrong about writing. Maybe just a few paragraphs, which I, as you've you've said now, I have actually seen in a lot of places now. And to me, it just, I don't know, it it just feels wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I'm the same. And what I actually do, and I don't know if this is right, so don't take this as gospel, but... I tend to email the shorter content or this is my goal. This is what I try to do because I struggle to write, but that's a separate issue. I send out an email with the shorter content, but then collate it into a longer blog post. So if someone's going onto my blog and reading it, they'll get the longer articles. Because yeah, yeah. it seems odd having like lots of different things for people to click on if they're sort of, because I feel like if someone goes onto my blog and they're browsing around, they possibly want the longer stuff mostly because that's how I am so I'm looking for something more in depth because I'm actually looking whereas when it's an email and it's in my inbox and I hadn't chosen to seek it out I prefer the shorter ones because I can actually just read that while I'm drinking my morning cup of coffee or something like that so that works for me but that's based on nothing but just how I use how I browse the internet and I the other thing with the SEO what I've um what I try to remember is to just try to create like an internal like Wikipedia on your website. So link to as many different blog posts in your article as you can. So you write an article and then how many other articles can you link out to that you've already written? If you haven't already written one, can you like pick out a sentence that would make another article for itself? And it's like this giant tree thing. Mm-hmm. It's like web of content is the goal in my head where the reality is a little bit different because that's, that's hard. It's time consuming.
1: Yeah. I think as well, going about building a, a sort of an audience around a product or vice versa from scratch. And I don't know if you had the same thing was that when you started getting that initial sort of traction or interest, should we say, when people were talking about client portal, like all of a sudden things go from everything coming from you and then you start being talked about in other publications. You know, for example, once Lucy was was around for a while, it started getting pulled into those comparisons or proposal software blog posts where they would talk about different ones. And then the product marketing takes on almost like a life of its own, which I think is when the game starts to change and it's kind of, you don't have to rely so much on, oh, well, I actually, my audience is not that big or my audience is huge or whatever. It's kind of like, it's taken out of your hands and it's that self-propelling then marketing which is obviously awesome because you find yourself cropping up in different places and it takes some of that pressure off so you know as as i mentioned the other week that guy that was that hero of me in the australian startup who had literally a handful of twitter followers but was running a multi-million dollar startup obviously they were coming from a different place but once you can it's almost i was going to say that the audience almost doesn't matter. Of course, it's very important, but when you get to that point of inflection where things suddenly start to to take off, then then I think the size of your audience is not as important if you can be consistent in getting out that content and contacting people and creating contacts and that wherever that community might be and, and being there and all that good stuff.
0: I think that's a really good point, and it's it's interesting because I have two different strategies for my different. Um, my different businesses. So with client portal, I get most of my traffic from just straight from Google. Like people are just Googling best client portal for WordPress or something or client portal for WordPress. That's what you want. Yeah, that's what I want. And I tell you what, I named that thing really well. (laughs) That was like (laughs) the best name for it. Well, that's Um, always a big, that's always a big,
1: that's always a big point of contention is like, do you give your product like it's serviceable name? Like in, in this case, client portal. Yeah. Or do you have to give it like a high fancy sort of made up name like Lucy that means absolutely nothing. <laughs> and in this case, client portal was a win, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think about it. I just needed a name like immediately. And that was how I was describing it to people. Like it's, it's like a portal for your clients. It's a client portal. I'm going to call it client portal. I didn't even look to see whether there was other things called client portal out there, which <laughs> turns out there really isn't. But more keep cropping up constantly trying to get that client portal keyword. But Last I checked, I, I should be still number one, hopefully. But it is getting more competitive. But Client Portal seems to still be sort of doing well, which I I think is good because it. I don't know how because I don't actually write a lot of content for Client Portal at all. The only thing I write is product updates. But really the most important thing for what people really like to see on the Client Portal website is case studies and example portals. And that kind of thing inspiration that kind of mm-hmm. stuff so i don't i don't write any content i have no plan to write educational content for freelancers agencies because as well i have a, every industry under the sun uses ah, client right, portal yeah. it's like so varied like law firms accountants did it
1: take you did it take you a while salesman. to figure that out though was, um, it, or was it something that you could see from it from the beginning
0: to figure out that i didn't reach really write content
1: no, that it wasn't just one group of people that you Im- initially had imagined using it.
0: It took a little bit to figure out because I used my existing audience at the start to sell Client Portal and it was a lot of developers, but also freelance developers. So I targeted freelance developers and agencies and I was writing a little bit about freelancing at the time just because I had it was something I could write about. Really, that was the only reason. So I was building it from my audience and then I started to see... Other people come in who were using it from different industries. And I thought, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Look, there's a furniture shop using Client Portal. You know, wow. But then it was just more and more and more. And then these few top industries keep cropping up again and again. And I realized, actually, Client Portal is not just freelancers and agencies. And in my heading, it it said freelancers and agencies. It actually gave me a massive headache with writing copy because copy is so much harder to write when you're not writing to one Specific audience type, it's like really difficult. So, I I actually hired a copywriter to not write the copy, but to give me feedback on my copy. And she was amazing. She did such amazing work. So, yeah, so it took me a while to figure it out. But uh, yeah, it didn't take me long to figure out that writing educational content wasn't going to be part of my strategy, just because the things that got the most, the best feedback were product updates. Feature updates and and uh, case studies. Case studies. Yeah, so that was just what was working for client portals. So I didn't feel like I needed to do educational stuff.
1: See, case studies is another classic, isn't it? It's another. It's always been recommended as something to do because it can generate really solid traffic. I wonder if that's still the case. I don't know. For these content forms are changing. I don't know. Again, I remember that the whole case study and templating system in the case of newsy obviously we were had proposal templates which was a i guess for our audience a similar kind of thing and those were all again were really because they're searchable items aren't they they're you know if if you think about a product and then what would people search around that product well yours was a direct search because it was a client portal which was amazing and in our case it was proposal templates um and that was Basically, the way that every proposal software tried to to generate traffic, and obviously there have been a, a hundred and one other ways to do it over the last few years. But yeah, it was getting that consistent evergreen. There's there's the word evergreen traffic content rather. I think is fundamental. But I think it basically what we're saying is, it's really important to have decent content, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's important to have decent content, and also, it's really hard to build an audience these days. <laughs> So, you know, top it is tip, and go back to 2008 and then build an audience. That's an actionable Yeah, I mean,
1: tip. we I'll keep moaning about this, you know, as we go through the episodes and I can let you know how it's going with the audience building. But I think it is generally, I think it's harder now than it was back in 2000 and whenever it was. I started my Twitter account, I think it was, I don't know, 2009 or 11 or whatever. I don't even know when it started, but a long time ago. So I think yeah. we just need to not get too down about it and just try and find other ways and really pull in on the, the community you have around you, no matter how small it is. Twitter likes to pride itself, I think, on the fact that, or at least its users do, that you can find great communities of people on there who are willing to help. And even those smallest numbers are going to be are going to be some help to you. And um, Those initial users on any platform are always going to be the ones that give you the most help, the most feedback, and they're always willing to... If they believe in what you're doing to try and give you that that extra nudge that perhaps once you're an established business, normal paying customers won't give you because they think you're a normal established paying working business who are who's earning millions. It's, yeah, it's a strange jump from that initial sketchy new kid on the block to the established business. But uh, yeah. yeah.
0: So I think a good thing to end on would be the question that I would ask is if you were starting from scratch... What would you do now? What would be your game plan to start building your audience from zero? But because you are starting from scratch, I suppose <laughs> what I am should. I doing? <laughs> what is your plan to build an audience from zero?
1: Oh, see, I should have the an answer like properly prepared for this, but I don't. I invited uh, you there. Yeah, you've you <laughs> told you. Me. We'll edit this bit out. Uh, I think just getting back on Twitter was step one. That was, I mean, that was it. Getting back on Twitter was step one. Reaching out to all my old sort of contacts from back in the day, that was also part of the initial thing because if people still do remember me, then great. I'll be on Twitter or, or wherever it is. And I, But I think the big thing is, <laughs> and I was going to say it didn't exist back then, but I guess it did because I already said that I was kind of building in public with Noosey, even though it wasn't a, thing so to speak back then but i think trying to to build in public or trying to be more vocal about what i'm doing and asking for help i think is another thing as well because like we said there are people who do like to help so that helps as well and the more people that see those tweets or click on like on it, it means that it gets a bit further reach um but i tell you what i am struggling with now and we'll have to talk about it again some point in the future is is building up the list the email list because we know how important that is you can really you can build a business purely off your email list and i don't know if that's because i'm not talking about my product enough on twitter or it's just because my twitter account is still too small to have any real impact have any real reach so that's a struggle at the moment that's something that i would love to be able to improve on um and what hasn't really started yet either not to any great extent, is building the content. So I actually literally just set up the blog for Feature Flux last week. Uh, so I'm going with Blog Static because I didn't want to go with WordPress this time and I just want to have a, a normal site. So Val from Blog Static was very kind and helped me get up, set up with all the DNS and it was just a complete pain in the ass that I would never have been able to do because I'm a non-tech founder. So he helped me sort that out. So yeah, the content is something that I want to get up and running because I think that's going to be valuable. I want to have traffic coming by the time the product's launched. So those are the things I'm doing, but it's not really a game plan and it's not something that I feel is, I'm not seeing huge growth numbers in any of these areas. So yeah, it's it's a work in progress.
0: Yeah. I think it will be really interesting to just follow what you do and just see what does give you more build your audience in a better way and whether that's different from before or whether it's the same I know if I could go back I know if I was starting from scratch I would probably do the same thing I did before which is I would create one landing page just a one pager that was an email opt-in basically that just was about whatever I wanted to teach people whatever audience I wanted to attract and then i just write really good guest post, really good outreach, because most outreach emails, especially the ones I get, are just awful. Like the bar (laughs) is so low. It's so easy to write like a decent one, because you wouldn't believe how low the bar is. And if I got any that were like, remotely personal or personable, I would probably actually consider it. So I would pro- I would probably do that, but it would be so interesting to see whether that would actually work again. I was going to say, but I there's a before. problem
1: there though, isn't there? There's a problem there though, because you have to decide on your target audience then and there, right? Because you're saying, okay, here's my free email course for developers. And I know obviously that's where you ended up, but, and you've expanded from there, but to make that initial decision to say, okay, I'm going with developers. Then that means in my case, and I did as well, because I did the develop your UX free email course and then in the space of a year or even less, all these different ideas came and things were, neurons were exploding everywhere. And now I've got all this other stuff going on. So which one do you promote now? And if people are on that develop your UX list, then is it relevant to, do you know what I mean? It's, you have to be very, yeah. very focused if you want to do that. And I don't know. It's, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's definitely overlap though, I think, with what you're doing.
1: There is overlap for sure. And I'm trying to overlap everything I'm doing. The only thing that kind of lies on the edge of that really is Feature Flux itself. So everything else like the UX course and the book and the and the video course for the UX, obviously are all tied in nicely. But Feature Flux stands outside that and Feature Flux is the one I've got my fingers crossed for, for actually becoming a business and, and making money, like free of money, hopefully. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, FeatureFlux could target developers for now, couldn't it?
1: It's not really. I it, Primarily, the, the the customer is the product manager within the product team. There is the sense, actually, I was speaking to someone else, exiting vision on these interviews, that it can actually work for freelancers as well, because of the whole aspect of getting design feedback, which we were talking about before, which is so hard to do in one place and have all that feedback distilled into one, one format could be hugely valuable for freelancers as well. So there is that, but I think it's primarily the product manager and then the product team around him with the possibility of that sort of freelance design or even design agency. But developers, not so much, I don't think. Because there are other services that exist, like Zeppelin, that are more geared towards that sort of handoff to developers because they take all the code and they tell you what the code properties are, et cetera. And Feature Flux isn't about that.
0: Okay. So, yeah, you're sort of doing... You're doing both. You're doing both audience first for what the UX and then product first for Feature Flux.
1: Kind of, yeah. But I'm trying to bring them up in parallel with the Feature Flux. I want to get that content out and I want to try and... Yeah, it's a bit of a mix and match, I think.
0: Yeah. Like I said, it would be so interesting to follow because you're sort of doing everything in a way and we'll see what sticks. Yeah,
1: we'll see what sticks. I think the next six months are going to be interesting because something is definitely gonna stick or not by that point cool nice well that went on for a lot longer than we thought
0: (laughs) it did yeah yeah that was good though I think yeah it's given it's given me a lot to think about and um, consider hopefully it was hopefully it's helpful to people who are starting an audience I don't want to make people feel like it's impossible or it's just doom and gloom it's definitely
1: not it's definitely not i don't it's it's just different now and i think and it depends when you come to it like if this is the first time you're coming to something like building an audience or building a product you know maybe you're in your early 20s or maybe you're a late bloomer like i was if this is the first time you're coming to it then i think the game is different anyway because you kind of almost know that the what the playing field looks like right Uh, for me for example it's changed considerably (laughs) yeah so I, i think it's different i don't know
0: And a lot of it comes down to you just need a lot of stamina to just not give up and keep just keep going because there's going to be a point where you feel like giving up. But then if you can push past that, then, you know, unless you're doing something horribly wrong, you really should be able to get somewhere. It's just out, out being more stubborn than everyone else, really.
1: And if you can't just pivot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's never too late to pivot to change. Just pivot pivot
1: into something completely different.
0: Yeah. But do something. All right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely, definitely. All right, cool. That was uh, that was good. I enjoyed yeah. that. Got to talk yeah. about me and Noosey. Good. <laughs> There's so what much about like. I don't remember, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. Cool. cool. <laughs> well, see you. I'll see you next time then.
1: See you in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, cool. All
1: right. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.